Hi, I'm Brad Serbstra, and you're listening to Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for July has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-Fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is my partner in crime, Aditi Terpstra. How's it going, Aditi? It's going very well, thank you. We are actually sitting in the same room on two different microphones, which is weird for me. No one's ever watched me podcast before. It's always time for a first. Yeah. Aren't you glad it's me? I'm glad you're my first. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, so let's see. You uh, you recently, it's been a while since you actually were part of this, but we couldn't talk about it before. Right. And that's the 367 dog case. Right. Why don't you tell us, I know you can't fully disclose a lot of details about it still, but but why don't you tell us what that is? Sure. Excuse me. Well, just over a year ago, which is hard to believe it's already been a year, um, on August 23rd of last year, there was a uh, the second largest dog fighting bust raid that has happened in the history in the United States, at least. Um, there were 13 search warrants, uh, and it spanned across um, four different states, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and Texas. Um, Ten people were arrested for um, not only for uh, dog fighting gambling activities, but also for... Um, firearms, drugs, and over uh, $500,000 in cash. So oftentimes, of course, dogfighting doesn't just, that's not the only illegal activity that's happening at most of these events. Um, So during that raid, which, you know, it was the FBI coordinated with the local law enforcement at all those different locations, uh, the Humane Society of the United States, and the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, um, w- which I'm a uh, independent contractor for, uh, they all collaborated and worked together to come down on all of these places at the same time and seize 367 dogs. Um, since that time, of course, there were uh, many females that were pregnant, and so... Um, Although the original population was 367, by the end of it all, uh, there were close to, I don't know the exact number, but I'm sure there were close to 500 dogs um, with the with the extra puppies that were brought into the world after that. So a lot of these females in the group were used for breeding. Pretty they much were breeding, yeah. All the females. They might have been, I mean, they might have been fighters at one time, but then they would become part of their breeding population. Is the the breeding population doesn't fight? Uh, they, I, I don't know. I don't know quite the, the inner. <laughs> You're not a dog fighter. <laughs> I'm not a dog fighter, so I don't. But I'm guessing that um, if they feel like a female is deemed um, worthy enough to pass on her bloodlines and fight, they don't. They don't want to be risking her getting further injured in a fight, especially if she were pregnant, because then that's money lost on the all sure. the pups. So what is the, uh, what, what was all the secrecy about? Like you literally weren't allowed to right. talk about this at all. So I went on uh, multiple deployments to an undisclosed location where um, the ASPCA took uh, more than half of those dogs. They took, I want to say it was 
256 of those dogs. And then the HSUS set, also set, a, set up a temporary shelter to house the remaining. Um, we couldn't let anybody know where we were traveling to um, because these dogs are huge money makers for these for these dogmen for these um, for lack of a better word professional fighters they are in a profession they do know what they're doing unfortunately although we don't agree with it um, and they want their dogs back and so uh, even though um, people were arrested that doesn't mean that they don't have friends and family that might do their bidding for them so for the safety of the staff the volunteers um, all the people who are working day in and day out to save these dogs and help help these dogs, um, we needed to keep them safe, and of course the dogs as well. We didn't want them going back into that life um, before things were brought to justice. And uh, and what's the current status of the legal? As far as I know, I think um, I think uh, don't don't quote me on this because I, I'm things kind of trickle out through this case because unfortunately that there were so many individuals involved um it took a long time to to look at each individual and and prosecute them but i think all of them now have been prosecuted and i think the dogs are all now legally released to the respective organizations and so um i don't believe that that uh, any of the dogs are still in limbo, but I may, if if I'm incorrect on that, it's less than 50 dogs that are still kind of up in the air with their um, current situation, which means they are still being housed in temporary shelter. So are you allowed to talk at this point about what your role in this was? I can talk about my role, yeah. Um, so the... Uh, the original <clears throat> place, the dogs aren't there anymore, so I can disclose that I was traveling down to Florida several times a year last year where the temporary shelter was um, housing all of these dogs. <clears throat> I would go in in the position of behavior lead. So I actually worked with the anti-cruelty behavior team, and we work alongside the field and investigations and response team. Um, these are all branches of the ASPCA. So I would come in and my responsibilities were to help train in and um, educate other responders and handlers on how to um, approach the dogs, handle the dogs, because because these dogs really couldn't be taken out in public. We had to keep them um, kenneled in a warehouse. We Every day the dogs were... Um, taken out of their kennel, allowed time to run in exercise pens, given some opportunity to interact with people. They were provided with all sorts of enrichment, and that's one thing I'm really proud of uh, that the ASPCA does in their temporary shelters is they, you know, some of these dogs, obviously they've been in these shelters for for months, well, a year, and, um, and with the amount of enrichment and... Um, hands-on that they're receiving from from people too um we're able to keep these dogs sane and sure. uh, and happy which is um not an easy task and so i would also come in not only working with the people to better handle the dogs but also working with um 
doing individual work with the dogs. So behavior modification, training, so that the dogs that had a great chance of going into rescue would have some skill sets to make them more adaptable and um, would turn around more quickly to, to end up having a nice family life. I feel like something's come between us. Yeah, that, that miser, I tell you. <laughs> There's a Siamese walking on our table. Um, so you're dealing with dogs that were trained to kill each other. Right. Let's make that distinction right away. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, as far as I understand it, a very important part of training a fighting dog is you want to be able to step into the ring and pull that dog off. So you don't want a dog that's human aggressive. Mm-hmm but you want a dog that's willing to fight another dog uh, to whatever extent is necessary. Um, Was there danger to you and the other workers when you're doing these uh, kind of rehabilitation work? You've always have to be cautious and safe and smart. Um, Even though we didn't see a lot of dogs um, in this population that exhibited just downright aggression towards humans, you still have to understand that this is a very stressful environment for these animals and that every dog, I don't care what breed we're looking at, um, what gender, what size, every dog is capable of biting. Every dog is capable of doing damage. So we have to respect that and we have to look at, we have to be smart about their dog body language, their arousal and excitement levels because um, even with our own dogs at home that play, they can they can be playing and it can be all fun and games and then that can escalate and then end up tipping into a fight. Um, so we have to know and, and learn the, the body language signs. So in working in that environment where you have hundreds of dogs together in close proximity, the noise level, think about your, your senses, your five senses. All of those, when you go into an environment like that, are maxed out. Um, so it's not only stressful on the animals, it's stressful on the people too. Um, this, the smell, even though we kept those kennels clean, you're still in the, in the morning when you're doing the cleaning, um, it's strong. <laughs> uh, the, the sound, the, the, just the sight of it all. So... Um, for these dogs, we have to be smart about handling them. So there are all sorts of steps and protocols that go into place. So if, if you need to move a dog from one kennel to an exercise area or move them from one pod to another, um, we have radio systems that we are communicating back and forth so that at no time is there a dog, two dogs out in the same vicinity as another. Um, because if they saw each other and, and could go after each other. I'm not saying that every dog would. There's a majority of dogs that were there that had no, um, really no uh, desire to fight another dog. They wanted to play more than anything, or they wanted to tuck tail and run the other way. Um, we still don't know, and we don't want to end up putting them at risk of that. So, um, So there are there are precautions that we took into place. And then there are some dogs that might get too rowdy when they were playing with certain toys. Um, and they might resource guard those toys. And that's not uncommon. That's 
you know, you, we see that in our pet dog population as well. So again, it would be kind of trial and error. We might put one of these boomer balls, which is a really hard, hard plastic ball with no, um, well, it's completely spherical. So there's nothing for the dog to actually sink its teeth into. Um, but they're a great, uh, uh, enrichment toy for this particular population of dog because these guys play hard and they bang that ball around and jump on it. And, you know, even though they can't get their mouth around it, they can still, you know, really kick the crap out of that toy. (laughs) So, um, so some dogs we had to, we actually couldn't give them that toy because they would work themselves up too much. And when we would need to take the dog back into the kennel or take the dog away, they might start to guard it. So, so even though, yeah, um, we didn't necessarily see outright, like this dog would just stare at someone and want to, want to go after them. We still have to be safe about, um, reading their body language and seeing what they might, um, find more reinforcing than listening to us. (laughs) All right. So just to be clear, out of 367 dogs, how many were pit bulls? Well, that's a interesting... How many would be classified as pit bulls? Well, you're still getting into a, <laughs> a really interesting, controversial thing there. Um, and I'll try and keep this short. But just to clear things up, uh, pit bull is a generic term. Um, when people say pit bull... Uh, they're generally speaking in terms of three particular breeds of dogs and their mixes. And those three breeds of dogs are the American Pit Bull Terrier, the American Staffordshire Terrier, and the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. These three dogs have a lot of common traits and similarities, but they are three distinct breeds. And believe me, if you talk to an enthusiast of one of these breeds, they will, you know talk till they're blue in the face about how their breed is the best and and is not the same as the other two and then there's mixes and that's what we're seeing across the united states right now is just this huge boom and what people are classifying as pit bull or pit bull type dogs um these are dogs that more or less fit a characteristic than anything out physical characteristics so they're dogs that tend to be medium sized between anywhere between 30 and 70 pounds, which is quite a range. They tend to have really short uh, hair coat, um, sometimes not much hair on their belly and, and, uh, and legs. They tend to have a muscular body structure and more of that squared off head. Um, so you see a dog like that come into a shelter, 99% of the time they're going to peg it as a, as a pit bull or pit bull mix. So if you're asking how many purebred dogs were at this um, that came out of these 367 dogs, none of them were purebreds. These were all mixed breed dogs, and they all ranged quite a bit in their um, their body structure, their coat coloring, um, even their their head shape. We had some some of the pit mixes, so we do refer to them all as pit bull mixes. Um, some of them had a little bit longer of muzzles, a little narrower of heads, almost almost like a lab puppy type head. Others had very boxy, you know, body structure. Um, 
there were definitely some dogs in there I would say had some mastiff in them and those weren't really even the fighting dogs I don't think they happened to be seized uh in the house of one of the places so I think they were more like house pets or guard dogs because I'm I'm fairly certain one of them was had a mastiff like uh um, Connie Corso or something in it. Um, and then others, you know, would be much smaller and really scrappier. And those, those dogs tend to have a lot more, what we call game. So they, um, they had more of the terrier breeding in them versus that bulldog breeding. Is there a Napoleon complex? Uh, you'd have to ask the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't, uh, Connie Corsos more common in fighting rings? Um, I don't know. I think, for one thing, they're not as fast. Whenever you get into um, the larger Mastiff breeds, they uh, it's probably not as entertaining. <laughs> um, Are, they purposefully bred um, what we see in the fighting rings today. They, they, they don't want big, bulky dogs. You know, They want smaller, fast dogs that can whip around and... Um, get good holds and they do not have locking jaws just to make that clear <laughs> no animal out there has a locking jaw but that doesn't mean that they can't grab on and and hang on pretty tight are there weight classes uh we'll we'll drop dog fighting in a second i promise but are, are there <laughs> weight classes like do you see a 70 pound versus a 30 pound no, dog from my understanding um the the little knowledge that i have and and what i've read um is is that when they fight a dog, <clears throat> first of all, a fight, if it's done more on a professional level, like what these guys were doing, it isn't just, hey, I've got a dog, you've got a dog, let's fight them. There's a lot of um, planning that goes into it because there's a lot of money that goes into it. And so they publish that. Just like, just like in human boxing, you have an event, it's going to come up in a couple of months, you do a lot of promotion of those of those boxers, you get a lot of bets, you get a lot of money, you you, you stir up a lot of uh, attention, and the same thing goes on for the underground dog fighting. So they'll plan a fight, but that fight won't, be, you know, that they'll plan for a fight, but that fight will be out six weeks. And then that's when they start conditioning their dogs. That's when they pull them out of the yard where they've been living a life of hell they pull them out of the yard, and all of a sudden that dog is being treated like royalty because they want to condition that dog to be a prime fighter. They start feeding them right. They start exercising them. They start drugging them um, with steroids. But they also have to meet a weight class. So if these fighters in advance agree that their dogs are going to fight in a weight of 45 pounds, <clears throat> They need to be at 45 pounds, and at the time of the fight, if they weigh in and they're a pound or two less, they're scratched, which is a lot of money that ends up um, being lost in the process. So they're really careful about that. And um, so I don't think you see, you know, you don't see those mishmash. Uh, this is this is a really an organized group, unfortunately, Um which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad life for these dogs, and I'm really happy that <clears throat> it seems more and more um, busts are happening, more and more people are becoming aware, more and more people are reporting it, and um, the more dogs we can rescue and the more people we can prosecute, um, the more dogs we save. Sounds awesome.
saving dogs, I mean, not, yes. not fighting dogs. No. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, you and I run a uh, pit bull rescue and we have an affinity. I've had an affinity for pit bulls ever since, you remember Lady? Yes. We, we were, we rescued, we, we were taking foster dogs. She it, was our first pit bull though. Yeah. And, uh, and we got her after a, a local drug raid and she'd been shot through the neck and her brother had been shot in the top of the head, but they have that V in their skull and it had bounced out of his skull. Um, but lady was, I was scared of lady when we first brought her home. I only, I had only ever had, had uh, negative connotations for pit bulls and, and I believed uh, a lot of it. And uh, lady, lady won me over. And we've had a lot of pit bulls since then. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of of how having that personal relationship can change your um, mindset about something. Like, I, I'll be honest, I when I um, first considered taking Lady in, I was a little nervous, too, because although I didn't quite believe everything the media was spewing about them, when you have when you're bombarded by it so much and it seems so saturated that well can't how can this how can it be false when they keep promoting that you know this dog is a certain way and does these things and you you have to be careful that it will turn at any minute and et cetera et cetera well those are very very few they are the minority um and oftentimes there's a backstory to why a dog does that, and it's often not their fault. It's not to say I do not believe in the phrase, it's all in how you raise them, because the 367 case, along with so many others, <clears throat> is a perfect example of these were dogs that were raised in the most awful, inhumane conditions, and many of those dogs come out to be exceptional pets, exceptional family members, and, you know, go on to a life of being therapy dogs and cohabiting with other dogs and cats, etc. So when people say, well, it's all in how you raise them, I say, no, it's it's not. It, there's Behavior is too complex for that. You can have dogs on the flip side that were raised in the best way possible, they came from, you know, reportedly good bloodlines. They were taken at the right age. They were socialized, et cetera, et cetera. And that dog will will be aggressive or um, will have such strong fear tendencies that they're hard to live with. Um, so I forget where I, uh, <laughs> why I got onto that tangent, but... It isn't just in, in, in how they're raised. They, you know, it has a lot to do with um, their current environment and um, previous experiences as well. I occasionally have guests that will go off on tangents, but do to the point where I'll forget yeah. where it started. I think we were talking about we, pit bulls I, I, and yeah, mice. we were talking about our first yeah. experiences yeah. with pit bulls. Um, but I, I have guests sometimes that bring it back around, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm like. Oh yeah, that is where we started, and I'm I'm always terribly impressed with those people. They have a, a an interesting way of. So what you're saying is I didn't impress you right now. You always impress me. <laughs> um, too kind. Too we kind. did. We, we so we primarily rescue pit bulls, but uh, 
There have been a few. Uh, and you know why that is, right? Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, it's my fault. But occasionally we do take in other breeds. Yeah. And uh, and there was one, uh, I don't remember what we named her originally. She's currently named Bella Babe. Oh, her, her name it was, was Babe. Babe. That'll do pig. Because she looked like a little piglet. Yeah. Um, what what You used to call small dogs football dogs. Oh, come on now. You're going to ruin my reputation. I know. But uh, but you, you didn't love them. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll confess that overall, I would say I would never own a small dog. Because as, um, as a stereotype, I found that a lot of small dogs were... Sparky, um, nippy, more unruly, I guess. And a lot of that, I think, stems down to people allow that to happen, right. too. Right, because it's but not as were, intimidating. But there were always individual small dogs that I liked. Right. And, and you, again, if there's one thing people can take away from, it's all dogs are individuals, and we've got to judge them as such. So with, with that being said, though. <laughs> so you, you found Babe. Yeah, well, this the the story on Babe was that she was found on the side of a road, a rural road out in Iowa, I think. Couldn't have been more than a couple weeks old. Yeah, I think she was maybe four four she weeks old. She was the size old. of a squirrel, if that. She Under weighed a foot. she weighed right at two pounds, and when you <laughs> stood up a like a one of those cordless phones, yeah. she was smaller than the cordless phones. She was smaller than a, maybe like Joe's candy bar phone, wasn't it? Wasn't no, she? not that, not that. Okay, but I do have pictures of that. Maybe you can link a photo. But sure. Um, so she came in, and of course she's way too small to. She can't be at the shelter because this was when I was still working at our humane society in town, and somebody brought her in. So I thought, well, darn it, I'll have to take her home till I can find a foster for. Well. <laughs> That lasted about 24 hours, so her foster became me, because I, I, all of my maternal <laughs> instincts came yeah, to did. a head full force, and um, we imprinted on each other. She was a brilliant dog, though. She was. She was like one of those one-trial learner dogs, meaning mm-hmm. you teach her like one time, and she's like, got it. Yeah. She was amazing. I, uh... I think she's turned into like quite the diva these days. When we visit with her, she she knows how shmar- how smart she is. She is. You should have just saw the picture her mom sent me the other day. She looked completely sassy. Right, see, I, that's how I think of her now. Yeah. But anyway, but we didn't even tell people what Bella was. They they're they're thinking she's a small dog. I'm guessing, but and she is. She's smaller. She's, she got she's bigger like, than I remember her. Yeah. She's probably about twenty two pounds. Just. Small for me, but she um, <laughs> she looked a lot like a cattle dog. But she was so tiny when we got her. I was like, "Well, gosh, she's too tiny to be like a purebred cattle dog." So she's got to be something else in there. And I thought maybe Chihuahua or Rat Terrier or something. And they we ended up doing a DNA test on her. And we did the wisdom panel, and uh, she did come back as half Australian cattle dog. But then she came back as one quarter Whippet. And then a quarter of a hodgepodge of other mixed breeds that were smaller. I think those wisdom panel people just make stuff up. <laughs> Maybe our 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 pit bull has bull mastiff in her. Yeah, and what else? Some kind of like a terrier. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
You're going to like our first sponsor today. Okay, let's hear it. They make animal-related um, uh, wearables. Cats and hats. Uh, so MailChimp.com means easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They can help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect signups from an iPad or a laptop. Importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter what its format is. You can also personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. And there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With their entrepreneur plan, if you have under 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 to learn more. All right. Should we do some top picks? Is it that time already? It's a little early, but I feel like we might have some, some conversation to have. Could be. Okay. Do you want so, me to go first? Or of course. You? Okay. Guess first. Um, my first top pick is called the Fubler. Okay. <laughs> um, it's actually, uh, hang on, I'm going to bring it up on my computer so I don't mess it up here. Um, it's, it was part of a Kickstarter campaign that actually might still be happening. Um, so you can look it up and, and they've got some great video. But what it is, is it's a um, food dispensing device for dogs. Well, and I've seen video of uh, potbelly pigs using it as as well, so it could be more than just for dogs. But it's a ball, has six chambers that you can pour food into it and close it back up. And you think, well, what's the big deal? There's lots lots of types of food puzzle toys out there for dogs these days. The difference is this one has timed chambers. So rather than put all the food in and the dog just works on it until it all comes out with those six chambers, it, it is only allowed out every, there's different time increments, 15 minutes, I think, 30, 60, 90 increments. Sure. So it can keep your dog busy longer through the day. Is the, are, Other than just occupying them longer, are there benefits to this kind of, uh, it's basically a bank safe. Yeah, that only lets out a little bit at a time. Okay. But it's got benefits in that, one, it will keep your dog entertained longer so that they're not bored all day while you're at work. Um, For dogs that inhale their food and might end up having issues with throwing it back up or not feeling satiated because they ate it too quickly, this ball slows down that feeding because only allows a few kibbles out at a time as they're rolling it around. Um, the only the only th- issue I could see with this toy would be if you had a young dog that was getting fed all day and they didn't have access to go to the bathroom. That would be the only like that's the only kind of the only thing that concerns me at this point. But what about like frustration level? Wouldn't wouldn't you get ticked off if your fridge would only open every 15 minutes and you couldn't figure out why maybe it's not to say that it might build some frustration in dogs Hmm. and that's a bad thing isn't it it can be depends is it do you think there's enough intermittent reinforcement involved in that that they would have the aha moment and just keep trying after that 
I think it really depends on the dog. But that's some probably dogs why you can adjust be, the interval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some dogs will figure out. They're they're smart about time, as far as like, okay, I got it all out. It's I'm not gonna get any, you know. Like they they might just give up and go lay down until they hear it click. <laughs> oh, does it make an audible sound? Well, I'm guessing it does something. See, okay. I don't know a lot. This is one of my top picks because it's new on the market, but I don't I haven't I don't have personal experience with it. That's cool. That's cool. Can I just say that I love that my wife, Brett Terpshire's wife, has her computer in front of her, but her top picks are written on a post-it note. Well, and it's on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, let's see. So my first top pick is you. Y- you enjoy our Nest, right? Our Nest thermostat. Mm-hmm. It uh, it makes life easy, and you can change temperature from your phone and all of this stuff. Yeah. They recently came out with an API, which is an application programming interface. Okay. Meaning that I can begin to integrate the Nest into other parts of home automation. You're going to love that, right? I did. Sorry. You lost me for a moment because my brain went IPA. And then I thought beer. Yeah, we should have beer. What time is it? API. So, you know, it's too early. It's too early. Anyway, home automation, the nest. Yeah. My pick is something else to, to futz with until you get so frustrated that you make me. You actually haven't since we since I started I automating say, this house. I was you've been say, very. I, I I don't know that I've complained a lot. No, I think you actually like having the living room lights on a remote. I do. See. And that turn on at at sunset every day. It's pretty and good, I can right? Turn them all all lights off in the house from bed. Yeah. And then I can flip on a a soft red light under the edge of the bed when I come to bed late that. You don't probably even realize exists. Well, I know it's there, but... But I mean, it doesn't wake you up. It doesn't wake And I don't trip over the dog and swear in the middle of the night. Huh. Hmm. See, I told you there were benefits to this hobby. All right. <laughs> we just had our ninth anniversary. We did. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you, too. Really? Yeah, what? You're just going to mutter that. Fine. Happy anniversary, Brett. It's been hey, a thanks. wonderful nine years. <laughs> I smell sarcasm. <laughs> it's been a pretty good. Oh, oh, my God. There's a pit bull at the window. <laughs> There's <laughs> a pit bull on your porch. With a cone of shame on. <laughs> we uh, our, our recent foster dog, Mitch, um, just got neutered. All the guys out there are going to cringe, but he just got neutered, and he's got to wear a soft cone of shame around his head right now. I, I think... People, uh, when when you've never seen a dog get neutered, you're just like, okay, yeah, that's, you know, good for the population and everything. But once you've heard, because they don't cut, they don't cut the testicles off. They tear them off because they heal faster. There's some tearing. There's some tearing, and that sound has haunted me. Like, I can't witness it anymore. Just that one snapping sound. That was Yeti, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. It was Yeti the cat. Yeti got neutered on the kitchen table. We are by a professional. Let's let's (laughs) be clear that it was by a professional. It was a home visit. Yes. All right. Okay. Moving on. Second pick. (laughs) 
<clears throat> excuse me, my second pick are the sleep phones, uh, pajamas for your ears. And maybe you've actually done those before, but they're my pick because it's not, not necessarily a new item, but I use them all the time. Um, so they are soft. Think of like a fleece headband that you put on, but they've got speakers embedded in that are soft so they don't poke into your ears. So it makes it really easy to lay your, you know, be, have your head on your pillow laying sideways and not have the pain of headphones or right. earbuds. Yeah, like there's absolutely no earbud yeah. that doesn't begin hurting after about 15, 20 yeah. minutes when you lay on the side of your head. And if it's a cold night, it serves a dual purpose of keeping your ears warm. Yeah. Yeah, until you get sweaty. Yeah. Well, it also serves a triple purpose because you can pull them down over your eyes and have yes. a blindfold and okay. headphones at the same time. But I do like them. I use them last night. I use them just about every evening when I'm falling asleep. I'll listen to a podcast or maybe a sleep thing. Oh, what, like pieces? Yeah. Or just like I've downloaded um, just uh, white noise, mm -hmm. like rain. Yeah. That's a good one. I'll just fall asleep. You ever to play that. with binaural beats? I have, and I like binaural beats. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you something about sleep headphones. I forgot. That happens to me a lot. What's That's your favorite podcast? Systematic. No, it's not. What's your favorite podcast? Oh, um, I really like The Moth. Uh, the, the Moth Radio? Mm -hmm. That yeah. is fascinating. It's probably one of my favorites because uh, the stories on there, you just you never know what you're going to get. Right. And it's in that In that regard, it's kind of like systematic. You could be talking about uh, slideshow presentations one week and dogfighting the next week. It's true. It's true. <sighs> All right. So I think my second pick... I, I tried to come up with picks you would care about so we could actually talk about them. But you you probably won't care about this one. But it's called Spillo. And it's a, a client, it's a desktop client for Mac that works with Pinboard, which is what I use for all of my bookmarking. Do you, use, do you bookmark web pages a lot? Yeah, I do. How do you do it? You'll Just, probably laugh at me. I, I'm already laughing, but how do you do it? So you write it down on paper? No, not that bad. <laughs> so I have a say. I have a a page up, thefoobler.com. Then I would go over into bookmarks. I click on it. I go to add bookmark, and then I add it to whatever folder I have that best fits it. Like for that, I'd probably put it in pet vendors, hmm. and then it's there. And how many bookmarks do you have in your browser? In my, like, open in my browser? No. What do you mean? No, like, if you go into your bookmarks. Yeah. And you view them all. How many do you have? How do I get to that? Yeah, that's the problem right there, isn't it? <laughs> I don't... First, okay, first, Command-D. You need to learn Command-D. Uh, while I'm on bookmarks? No. What? While you're on a web page. It's the shortcut for going to add bookmark. Command-D. Okay. You just so saved yourself add... two mouse clicks. Oh, I did. See what I'm saying? But how but do you find your That doesn't give me bookmarks? the number. It doesn't give me the number then. Number of what? Oh, you no, asked me no, the number no. of... Yeah, oh. no, I left that behind. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a pain in the ass. 
finding the bookmark. <laughs> yeah, which is which is then why. I, I go into bookmarks, I scroll down, mm-hmm. I find the folder that opens up into a gazillion things, and then I scroll through that. Which is why I want to teach you to use Pinboard. Is it like a tagging? It's it well, it's an online collection of your bookmarks. So I I have like well, how ten does that bookmarks help me? total. Because you can interface with it from your browser, you can interface with it from desktop apps like Spillo, and you can add tags when you add a bookmark, you can add descriptions, and then you can search them really quickly and very accurately. Okay. And find exactly what you're looking for. So tags are involved. Tags are involved, but you can also do it with just descriptions. So the search on pinboard.in... Aren't descriptions essentially tags? Sure. Okay. Yeah, but they're just more... uh, they're more prose based. And the thing okay. with tags is you can use tags to create the, the equivalent of folders. Mm-hmm. So you could have a pets tag. And if you tagged everything pet related with pets, you could just click on the pets tag and have your bookmarks just like you have a folder. But then those bookmarks could also have tags like uh, enrichment. And then you could click, I want only pets, ta- pets bookmarks with the tag enrichment. Gotcha. See how that works? Mm-hmm. I, I, I evangelize like ever since delicious came out, which you probably don't remember, but I remember the name. Yes. <laughs> I think they were one of the first, uh, websites to actually use the like dot us domain to create a word. But anyway, so Spillo, uh, I think anyone who uses pinboard should check out Spillo, but anyone who is currently bookmarking in their browser in their browser should check out Pinboard, which is not technically my top pick, but I can't, I can't, I can't not evangelize Pinboard. Okay, okay. so what's your third pick? All right, well, this was a tough one because I couldn't come up with one that I, whatever. I'm just going to go with the book that I'm currently reading and reading very slowly at that because I don't want it to end, so I purposely am not <laughs> picking it up because I'm kind of a weirdo like that. Um, so the book I'm reading right now is called the book of life and it's the third in the all souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness. And it's, um, obviously a fictional book revolves around, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's obvious yet. Cause I have no idea oh. what this trilogy is okay. about. Well, it has to do with witches and vampires and demons. Okay. So that's obviously... Uh, fictional, right? Like you said, yeah. But I didn't know that up front. So, yeah. Um, but it's not. It's it's adult. It's not like teen fiction, like the Twilight series and so stuff. So, what does is. that mean, though? More sex or? Uh, there's a little in some of the books, yeah. But it's not. It's not like your Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not like soft porn. Actually, what? Why I liked the trilogy is because one the female the the lead female character in there is a very strong woman and i like that and she isn't just pining over some guy that she can't have some werewolf or some right, vampire right yeah and biting her Two, lip a lot there is um a lot of historical references in there and deborah harkness who is the author is a professor in history and so she brings she draws a lot of that in and she has a facebook page that she will parallel um some of the things that she's mentioned in her books with 
where they are in museums or in real time, like where, where it came from in history or what gave her the idea to write that. So it gives it some more relevance and you can look up and see different pictures for that. Cause they travel back in time in the second book into the 1500s. Time and, travel and vampires. I know. I'm and not witches. making fun of you. No, it's good. It's a fun read. If you, you know, obviously you, you want an escape from reality. I, I don't do well with the escape from reality, but I know that you, you love these books. You like reading. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could read well, more. Well, I do. I, I, now, I didn't used to as a kid. I hated reading. So that's the thing is, as a kid, like, I, I always had a book under my desk and I was always sneaking in reading. But as an adult, I don't have the attention span somehow. How do you go from being like a seven-year-old kid who's reading like all the great classics to an adult who can't even sit down and read a short story the internet you think the internet did it i think so did video kill the radio star it did Hmm. all right well i have a third pick and like i said i tried to find (laughs) ones that you would care about but i don't think this is gonna work my third pick is benedict cumberbatch (laughs) who i like because he has a great sense of humor yeah. How do you feel about Benedict? I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I, how I was, much do you okay, like Okay, okay. I had a period of time there where I was kind of infatuated with him. But that has since ceased. Like, I've, I'm still very, like, if he's in a movie, I'll probably go see it. <laughs> but at least I'm not, like, looking up stuff on the internet about him. Anymore. Anymore. But there was, like... <laughs> Maybe like a two week stretch there where I like found out every, because when I find, whether it's an actor or an actress, if I find somebody attractive, whether it's because of their work or their, most of the time it, I don't find somebody attractive just on their physical merit alone. I like them also based because, oh, they're attractive, but they're a phenomenal actor. That's and, such a girl thing though. Well, I don't care. So I, <laughs> I so I dive in and I want to learn about that person. Sure. So you know, I'll like Wikipedia and I'll look up different things. And then I, once I like fully saturate and, and all the possible things that I could trivia wise, I could know about that person. Then I'm like, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. So. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I do really like Benedict Cumberbatch, but I'm not as, like, obsessed about him as well, maybe I once was. I, see, that may change if there's another season of Sherlock that comes out, so I don't know. So, you know I'm perfectly willing to ad- admit or, or notice. <laughs> Sandra Ambrosio. Well, no, I, I'm talking about, like, male actors. I'm, mm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm never shy about saying, yeah, that guy's very handsome. Um, but I'd never found Benedict to be that... A gorgeous a human being mm-hmm. but he is a great actor and someone that i can really enjoy i do i like his delivery of comedic lines in very serious contexts you know what it is for me i think that found well no because you're right he isn't as physically attractive as say like the bradley coopers and the brad pitts of the world but that he seems more obtainable Obtain, attain, no, obtainable, that's correct. Yeah, okay. You know, like, yeah, you're attractive, but you're not, like, movie star, you know? I've had that said about me before. 
I had someone tell me once, another guy said, oh, you're cute, but you're not like porn star cute. And I said, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was my pick. Okay. I mean, yeah, I could have gone with like Missy Peregrine, Peregrine or uh, Alessandra Ambrosio, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I decided it's something you would be more interested in because I'm, I'm a giver. You know another guy who fits in that category? Who? I think. Well, although that's going to be changing now because everybody's going to think he's hot now because of his latest movie, but Chris Pratt. Oh, no. Like, because he didn't look like a guy. Like, you see him in Parks and Rec, and he could easily be a guy I think you could just pass on the street and mm-hmm. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think twice. Yeah. But, but his acting and yeah. his, and of course he did get pretty buff for, for Guardians of the Galaxy, but now he is going to be like, a top item. I think so. He was phenomenal. He was. In Guardians. I want okay. to go see it again. All right. Well, I honestly, because we're using a different recording software than usual, I've lost track of how long we've been doing this, but I feel like we're at a good wrapping point. Well, it's 11.57. Yeah, but I don't think we started strictly. At... It's 11.59 and 59 seconds. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Points. Points. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to sit at the kitchen table with me today. It's probably the only time I'll get from you today. Just kidding. Not true. <laughs> I'll be around. I have to work today, which means I'll be sitting on the couch with my laptop. Yeah. That's how I work. That's how you roll. All right. Well, um, that was episode 111 with Aditi Terpstra. And uh, we will have um, uh, John Roderick back soon. So stay tuned for part three of the ongoing series, uh, his fascinating tale of life. And we have some very interesting guests coming up. So keep coming back. Oh, I didn't mean to make that sound like a 12-step program. <laughs> keep, keep on listening, and we will see everybody in a week. <laughs>